0: Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Welcome to North Sound Church. So good to see you all. I got really hot during the first sermon this morning, so I shed my beautiful white jacket. I know many of you will be disappointed in not seeing that this morning, but uh, anyway, great to see you. And uh, we are going to look into God's Word. For those of you that maybe guess, uh, our worship time isn't just one song. Uh, We come back to it during communion, but we do the sermon or the talk uh, first. This morning, I had a conversation with my wife. So the way Sunday morning works is I get up quite early and and sit down with the sermon again, first of all, on the computer, and then after I print it, and I just kind of go over things And I was just amazed. amazed, um, Being a pastor as long as I have, only since North Sound, excuse me, have I had an opportunity to preach a lot. But um, I just, I just love it. And, And I was marveling to myself this morning that I get a chance to talk for half an hour and you guys listen. I mean, think about how cool that is and what a, what a privilege it is. So <clears throat> in, my, in my euphoria about that, I went upstairs and I said, Barb, you know, it is such a privilege to be able to speak for half an hour. And she said, a privilege for you or them? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hoping that it isn't just a privilege for me, but that it's a privilege for, uh, for you as well. But what a... I mean, when you think about it, what an amazing thing to get a chance to open God's word and to share um, with you, I, I don't take that lightly. So this summer, we are doing a series of messages called "You asked for It." And last week Pastor Robin, I think, had the longest sermon in the history of North Sound Church, and uh, we had a chance to listen on I-5 heading home, and it was great, and the worship was great. Um, I was so proud of our team uh, being on the highway, but listening, it was just—it just sounded uh, sounded wonderful. Both the sermon and Casey, the worship were uh, were great, and uh, so. But looking forward to being back and being able to share with you today. So. This summer, we are going over topics that you want us to talk about, and the topic this Sunday has to do with fear. Some, one of you asked about how do we live with fear, or how, how do we cope with fear in a fallen world, and so that's what we are going to look at. Uh, today. And we're going to do that in the context of storms that come into our lives. We're going to talk about storms today. So speaking of storms, this has been an interesting week for Barb and me. So I had meetings on Thursday morning. And uh, when uh, those meetings were done, I decided to take a little time off and Barb joined me on the motorcycle. And we decided to do the mountain loop highway. So that's not the cascade loop that goes all the way over to Spokane, but it's the loop that goes up to Granite Falls and then Verlot and the Ice Caves and Barlow Pass. Some of you are nodding. You're familiar with that. It's a beautiful, relatively short, or at least we thought it was going to be, uh, ride. And we got uh, to the Barlow Pass, and then you get a gravel road with tons of of uh, potholes. Do you know that two-wheeled motorcycles and potholes and gravel are not your friend? some of you may be familiar with that they're not your friend and so we got out way out into the boonies on this gravel road no cell coverage uh relatively few vehicles going by because it's like I say it's in the boonies and uh I was negotiating um to get to a particular spot on the road uh, when the bike went out from underneath us and uh so we were laying there with the bike kind of on top of us, and I was able to get out, and I looked back at Barb and asked her if she's okay, and she was okay, uh, and she thought I was just going to lift the bike up, and away we would go again, but the the shifter uh, broke where, you know, where you shift gears and that, so I had to, I had to kind of figure out a new way of shifting on the motorcycle, and we got our way through okay. Uh, but it was an eventful day. It was a little storm that had come into our lives, but one that could have been far worse, right? Uh, so um, we, uh, we survived that and got home, and I had just to have a little repair work to do on the bike. So Friday afternoon, that was late Thursday afternoon, Friday afternoon, Our neighbors came back and our neighbors, there are five Earls in the family and the Earls that are living in the house across the street are the last three. So Earl three, Earl four and Earl five. And uh, Earl four and Earl five, Uh, Earl four is a 40 something year old dad and Earl five is a 16 year old son. And they had gone to watch uh, the blue angels on Friday afternoon. Um, For those of you that don't know, it's kind of a free show on Friday afternoon. And so they went down and watched it and loved it and were so excited about airplanes and flying. And I said, well, would you like to go flying sometime? And they said, uh, oh yeah, that'd be wonderful. So I said, well, I, I was planning to go in the morning and they said, they wanted to go. So I had them meet me at Snohomish uh, Airport, Harvey Field, and uh, got the airplane and uh, went through all of the pre-flight stuff and uh, did the run-up on the airplane and pulled onto the runway and gave it full power for takeoff. And something just wasn't quite right. It wasn't getting all the RPMs it needed to. So I quickly pulled off onto a taxiway, did the run-up again in case there was something that I missed. And it it's, it went fine. So, uh, I decided, well, we'll go. So I went and, uh, then we took off that time. Again, I got 2,300 RPM, which is the minimum and away we went, but something still didn't feel quite right, uh, with the airplane, but, but all the instruments checked out. So away we went and I was taking them over to, uh, Jefferson County airport, which is Port Townsend. And, uh, we, uh, we, we came in to join the pattern there, and there was a guy that was really slow in front of us, so I had to do a 360-degree turn for spacing, then come in behind him, and then land. And when we landed, about uh, five seconds later, the engine quit. And um, have you ever had that happen to you, Greg? Uh, <laughs> The engine quitting is not something on a single-engine aircraft that you want to have happen. If it happens, you want it to be on the ground. Um, But uh, So it was like, what in the world is going on here? So I ended up pulling off the runway. Uh, onto, the, onto the grass so that I didn't, uh, you know, keep the runway from other people using uh, uh, the runway. And then restarted the aircraft and it started up again and we went over to a remote spot so that I wouldn't be in people's way if we couldn't get it started again. And then I called Snohomish Flying and they ended up sending a Cessna 182 to pick us up, me and the two passengers and get us back. And they are gonna go figure out what went on with the airplane. But when that happens, you think about storms in your life, because uh, had the engine quit a little bit earlier, um, the would, plane would have become a glider, and the landing would be just a little bit, just a little bit more tricky. So we had relatively good endings this week to those storms. Another storm this week happened for uh, Greg Burnside and Kathy. I think Kathy read scripture last Sunday. She's an elder at North Sound. Greg had open heart surgery, big open heart surgery. Um, I guess it's all, I guess open heart surgery is always big, but they cut through the sternum and open you up and go in and do the stuff they need to do. It wasn't just the, the you know, the cardiac catheterization thing. Um, and so Greg was really sick, but by God's grace, now uh, he had surgery on Wednesday. He's doing so much better and uh, so we're grateful uh, we're grateful for that but unfortunately not all the storms that we experience end this way Debbie Rosenfeld who I don't think Debbie's in church this morning looking around but Debbie lost her brother uh, unexpectedly and is dealing with the grief of his loss in their lives just a few months ago, Larry DeYoung, Larry and Hen, um, usually sit, I think, I don't know, second service, first service, uh, down here just about where Walt and Tony are, and uh, and on a, a morning when their son should have been at work, Larry noticed the truck just over here on second, noticed that his truck was still there where he had parked the night before, and he should have been long gone to work, and so he went back to the cottage on their property where he lives, and discovered that he had passed away from uh, a drug overdose. And they, as a couple then, had to deal with this horrendous storm in their life. And just on the heels of that, I got a call from an Edmonds police officer to come to a home of Jan Gregg, who's a part of our congregation, and similarly her son in her home had had a drug overdose and had passed away. These are, these are real people who are a part of the North Sound family who are going through these kinds of pretty horrendous struggles in their lives. Joanne Lawrence is another part of the North Sound family. Joanne and Steve have been regulars for years, and Joanne hasn't been to a regular church service, I think, in about six months. She had surgery for cancer and then complications and stuff going on, and she's just had a very difficult time. And Craig McDonald, who is also a part of our congregation, many of you know that his wife passed away last fall. We had a service for Gail not too long ago. Greg was into the hospital for a routine uh, procedure and during the procedure got a uh, atrial fibrillation and had to get treated for that. And as a part of that treatment, they discovered a melanoma on his chest. And so he's now having to go undergo radiation uh, treatment for that in his life. Storms, friends, come into our lives On September 11th, which is coming up soon, we tend to, at least I tend to remember the events of September 11, 2001, and on more than one occasion I've shared about flying back to Washington in in an Air Force Learjet, and one of the most surreal experiences was landing on U.S. soil at a U.S. Air Force base and seeing F-16s with the canopy up sitting at the end of the runway ready to take off in a moment if there were further incoming attacks here in the United States. Four years later, having had a chance to serve at that time, I was privileged to be the deputy chaplain of the Coast Guard for reserve matters and had orders to go to New Orleans for a chaplain's conference. and. Uh, just before the conference happened, on, happened I believe, starting on a Monday, um, the conference was canceled because there was a storm that was heading in towards New Orleans, and they decided that it wouldn't be a good idea to have a conference in a hotel with a category five hurricane coming in. And so the chaplains didn't arrive in New Orleans, but Katrina arrived in New Orleans At a news conference uh, at 10 a.m. on on August 28, shortly after Katrina was upgraded to a Category 5 storm, Mayor Ray Nagin ordered the first ever mandatory evacuation of the city of New Orleans. He called Katrina a storm that most of us have long feared. The government provided some centers of refuge, including the, the stadium where the New Orleans Saints played the Superdome and elsewhere, but 80% of the 1.3 million people in New Orleans left the city at that time. Storms come in many ways in our lives, and we all face storms. Some storms are the sprinkles that we had here yesterday in Edmonds, and other storms are Category 5 hurricanes. Jesus talked about Storms and the reality that all of us in a fallen world have to deal with storms in our lives. But to the person who asked this question, we don't need to live in fear. We will face storms, but we don't need to live in fear. Today we're reading from Matthew 7 from the Message Translation where Jesus says, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, and a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. And when a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. I want us to look this morning particularly at this story that Jesus begins in verse 24. And I believe there are four things this morning we can learn from this parable. First of all, we can learn that storms will come friends, storms will come. He tells a story, Jesus does, about smart and foolish carpenters. Jesus knows about carpentry. He was a carpenter. And both the smart and the stupid carpenters in our story faced a storm. Becoming followers of Jesus Christ does not mean we are immune to the storms of life. We read in Matthew 5, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you have not been a Christian for very long, and you've been cruising along in life with no storms, I have an encouraging word for you. Just wait. (laughs) Storms will come You see, followers of Jesus Christ also have storms in their lives. The storms come from many different directions. The storms may be your spouse of 25 years saying, I don't love you anymore. The doctor says there's something on this CT scan that we need to have a look at. Month by month, the business that you have staked your life savings in is going behind further and further or perhaps a dearly loved teenage daughter says mom I'm pregnant we all face storms in our lives and friends the time to prepare for the storm is now we all face storms and the time to prepare is now as hurricane Katrina gathered over the gulf here in the northwest we watched with interest what was happening but it wasn't to use a fancy word existential for us it didn't affect our existence we watched it from a distance but for those along the coastlines of louisiana and mississippi and alabama they knew they had to get ready but some did not get ready those who got ready prepared to move from the area of greatest danger some evacuated some found high ground there was time to get ready When the storm was only an image on the weather radar. Friends, there seems to be a relationship between good preparation and overcoming fear when storms actually hit. It brings peace to our hearts to know that we have a plan to deal with the storms, should they happen in our lives. We tend to fear the unknown. Our greatest fears are around not knowing what will happen or how we would deal with something if it did happen. I remember arriving at a police blockade of the freeway going into New Orleans. And I had made it a point, um, the rental car that I got in Shreveport was a PT Cruiser, and uh, it had some room. And so I was at the Coast Guard headquarters for Katrina in Alexandria, Virginia, and headed in because I wanted to make sure I got to New Orleans in the daylight, only to get called back to the Coast Guard base to take some stuff that they needed to load up to take into New Orleans. And so by the time I got to Baton Rouge, it was dark. And now I'm headed into this lonely highway that nobody else was on because of the police blockade. And I arrived at the blockade and the state trooper looks in the car and he sees I'm in a Coast Guard operational uniform. He sees my cross, he sees the stuff in the car. And he offered what I think were to be encouraging words, but I I wasn't quite so sure as he looks down and he says, God bless you, man. Um, Like, who knows what you're heading into? Because in those days, uh, without GPS, I had to find the New Orleans Saints training camp, which was the FEMA base. And I had to do that in the dark in an abandoned city where the elements that were out there were folks that you didn't want to have to deal with. In fact, I discovered the next day that we weren't allowed to go off the FEMA base unless we had an armed guard with us. It was a storm that affected many of us. And I had an idea of where I was going, but I didn't I had never been to that location before. As a result, I couldn't prepare, and there was a good measure of fear. Paul tells us to be ready for what may come our way. It's not just strategic advice, but it's very practical advice. When we are ready, we can handle the fear. In Romans 13, Paul tells the Christians in Rome that they need to get ready for what will come their way. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Friends, not being prepared is costly. The third thing I want to leave with you this morning is that our ability to withstand the storm is in fact directly related to the quality of our preparation. Our text this morning describes two different ways of preparing for the storm, and I'm not going to reread the scripture, but we have a foolish carpenter who builds a house on the sand and a wise carpenter who builds it on a solid rock. Their preparation is significantly different in the choices that they made, and it makes a very big difference. I eventually found the FEMA base that we were working out of, and around midnight, I found the chaplain's trailer where the chaplains were billeted for that time and uh, scared Father Hoke, a Roman Catholic priest who was also a Navy chaplain there, and uh, I fumbled around the trailer to find a spot for me to uh, sleep that night and woke uh, him up in the process. I learned during that time something about the routine for caring for folks and had an opportunity to get to the Coast Guard bases nearby as well as see the damage. I stood uh, in the picture that you have in front of you. I stood on the bridge over the 17th Street Canal. Levees or dikes, if you could see it, were along each side of this canal that went from Lake Pontchartrain to the Mississippi River. And when the storm surge from Katrina came down, one side broke and flooded that whole section of the city, and the other side of the levee held, and that side of the city was not flooded but just damaged by the wind and the rain that had come down. It was interesting that the walls of the levee looked the same on both sides when there was no storm but when the hurricane hit the difference that was evident unseen in the structures became very evident our parable this morning reminds us that the difference between riding out the storms of life on a solid rock and living in a house of cards when the foundation is sand that we build our lives on If we want to build on a solid foundation, friends, we need to build them on the words and the life of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit as Robin shared with us last week. Jesus' words are foundational words, words to build a life on. James writes, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. We build a life on these words, friends. We prepare for the storms, not by just listening, but by bringing the words into the very heart of our lives, by actually doing what we have been called to do. Doing God's will in our lives may involve taking time away from work to be in touch with him and to allow him to speak and transform our lives. It may mean we take some times that normally were set apart for recreation to spend time with the Lord and to hear his voice in our lives. It may mean that we have an opportunity to work on spiritual disciplines or practices to help us to be more like Jesus. It means that the levees of our lives have some spiritual strength when the storms of life come. Kish Harrison Warren is an Anglican priest, and I have really enjoyed uh, her writing. Uh, She is a conservative Anglican priest who writes an opinion column that comes out every Sunday in the New York Times, not exactly known as a conservative journal. And uh, I have really appreciated what she has done and was surprised that today, this morning, is her last column in the New York Times. And she explained to her readers today why she was quitting that role. And I thought it was so formative for our discussion today about building on the solid rock. She says, as, uh, as with any tough decision, my reasons are varied and complex. But one that is writing pub- publicly about God each week <clears throat> can do a number on one's soul. Publicly writing about God each week can do a number on one's soul. Thomas Wingford, a character in a novel by the Scottish Scottish minister and poet George MacDonald said, Nothing is so deadening to the divine as a habitual dealing with the outsides of holy things. Holy things, sacred topics, spiritual ideas, I believe, have power. Dealing with them is a privilege and a joy, but habitually dealing with the outside of them is inherently dangerous. Tish has had the courage to leave a national newspaper and all of the visibility that comes with that to nurture her own spiritual life to make sure that her life is built on the solid rock. Finally this morning, we can rebuild after the storm. We can rebuild after the storm. Hurricane Katrina advanced on New Orleans and some people made a terrible mistake. They did not evacuate. In some cases, they may have been afraid. In other cases, it may have been an issue of poverty where they simply didn't have the resources to be able to get out of town. But those who stayed didn't know what awaited them, and they no doubt had fear as the waters began to rise from the flood that took place following the storm. We all saw images of Coast Guard helicopters rescuing people from rooftops, and as I went to the uh, U.S. Coast Guard Air Station in Belle Chase, I discovered a story behind what was happening, and that was that um, <clears throat> the uh, additional helicopters came in from the Aviation Training Center in Mobile, Alabama, and the helicopters kept the engines running to rescue more and more people, and they exchanged crews— with the engines running. They just got one crew ran off and another crew ran on so that they could rescue more and more and more people. Between the helicopters and the boats, the Coast Guard alone in Katrina rescued 33,000 people. It's important, I think, for us to understand that those who were plucked from the rooftops may have lost all their belongings, but they came away with their lives. They may have gone to family in Shreveport or Houston, but now they continue to have a life and a future. And friends, you need to know that whether we've prepared well or not, God is with us in the midst of the storms of our lives. In the summer of 2015, Barb and I attended the memorial service for a friend, Greg Gelderman. Greg was a uh, high school principal, or a school principal, and Greg and his wife Bev were in eastern Washington, and early in the morning before breakfast, Greg liked to go for a bicycle ride, and Greg was riding his bicycle in eastern Washington when a car came his direction, and the sun was coming up and blinded the driver, and the driver hit and killed Greg there on the road in eastern Washington. When he was overdue for breakfast, Bev went looking for him, and she came upon the scene of the accident and all the emergency vehicles, and Bev went to one of the police officers there and introduced herself, and the police officer, when he knew who she was, took her forward to see Greg and to be able to identify him. And in that moment... That storm in her life, that extreme grief that she experienced in that moment. The coroner was there with Greg and she said to the coroner, Do you know Jesus? The coroner said, Yes, I know Jesus. She said, Would you pray with me? But before he could pray, a paramedic came up and said, I know Jesus too. And a police officer came up and said, I know Jesus too. And they prayed for her and the presence of God's Holy Spirit was so very real in Gail's life in that most tragic storm that she experienced. Friends, Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 11, originally written to the people of Israel but applies to us as well. It describes God's desire for us even in the midst of the storms of our lives. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Friends, some of us have been rescued from storms. We didn't bear up well under the rain and the wind and the floods. Some of us are in the middle of storms right now. The wind is whipping around us. We wish we could have evacuated. We wish the storm wasn't happening. We may wish we had built a stronger foundation. We're we're floundering. But the good news, friends, is that there is hope. We can be rescued. We may have lost most everything, but we can start again and the key is to build our lives upon a rock. The right foundation and the foundation is the application of the work and words of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in our lives. For some of us, it means we need to be reborn. We have maybe never come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. For others of us, it may mean another decision in our lives. A decision to move from being hearers of the word to being doers. To actually saying, I need to step back. I need to take some time to look at my relationship with God. I need to begin spiritual practices like Bible study and solitude and service and giving in in my life. We need to build on a solid foundation. I close with a story of a young man who became a missionary to America, of all things. At that time in his life, he would be called religious. He was a clergyman, an Anglican priest. And he went with his brother to become a missionary in Georgia. His time in Georgia was marked by some disastrous storms in his life. One of them was in the area of romance. A young lady, Sophie Hopke, was on the same ship with him and... They had a romantic relationship and when they got to Georgia this young man realized that this wasn't something that he thought he should move forward with and Sophie became very angry with him because she felt he had made her a promise and so she actually sued him. He, being a clergyman, refused to give her communion and unfortunately... It ended up in him having to quickly flee the country on a ship back to England. On the way back to England, there was a terrible storm. And even though he was a clergyman, a man of God, he was terribly fearful in the midst of that storm. But he noticed a group of people on the ship that sang and prayed and they didn't have that fear that he had, and he noticed them. They were Moravian Christians from Central Europe, and, and he noticed their lives. So when he got back to London, he decided he would follow up on that experience, and he went to the Moravian church service, even though he was an Anglican priest, went to the Moravian church service, and at the Moravian church service... He reports that his heart was strangely warmed. Somehow in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And his life was literally changed. And that young man then began a journey for him that led him from religion to active leadership in the kingdom of God and the founding of a movement that changed, literally changed the face of England spiritually and whose influence lives on today around the world, and his name is John Wesley. He didn't always respond well to the storms that came because religion didn't have the power to deliver him. But when he built on the solid foundation of the kingdom, there was no one and nothing that could stop him. May that be true of each one of us this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word and for its application to our lives. Lord, all of us here this morning have experienced storms or we may be in the midst of them. Lord, help us to prepare well and if we find ourselves in the midst of a storm, remind us, that you have plans for us, Lord, to give us a hope and a future. In Jesus' name, amen.